Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Oh, so good to see you guys on a Sunday, and uh, thank you for making uh, church a priority on this Sunday morning. I appreciate you being here. Um, I talked to a few people, and I got a couple text messages uh, this morning from people that were like, hey, man, I'm so excited. We're not going to come to church this morning. We're going to go to the worship night tonight. And I'm like, oh, cool. I hate you. Uh, so, uh, thank- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, thank you guys for being in the house. Uh, it is truly an honor to have you here. And I do want to reiterate uh, what David said just a moment ago. Please, if you can make it back here this evening, I think it's going to be a pretty powerful time as we gather together with about a dozen different churches. We're going to take communion together. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for uh, both the established churches and the brand new churches in the city. And we're going to spend about an hour just worshiping Jesus together. So it's going to be a powerful time. And I think there's something unique that happens when a bunch of uh, churches put aside their differences, put aside their theological points or whatever, and they just say, you know what? We're here for one purpose. We're going to worship Jesus together in the same room, and we're going to cry out for our city. So it should be powerful. If you can be here, get into the room. Uh, Well, hey, we have been in this series for the last couple of weeks uh, entitled Welcome Home, as the screen behind me would suggest. And uh, we are talking about the kind of culture that we feel God has called us to establish here in the city of San Francisco. We're a brand new church. And as a brand new church, sometimes, you know, you're just trying to figure out who you are and, you know, what songs do we sing? What what, what kind of sermons do we preach? What do we sound like? What's our voice? Uh, And and at the end of the day, what we, we feel was imperative that we establish up front is the kind of culture of people we are going to be. Uh, And the kind of culture that we desire to be is just that, a welcome home culture, a culture where people who walk in the door immediately feel like this is home. I I can put my feet up. I can put on my oversized sweatpants. I can can enjoy myself and be myself and sing at the top of my lungs because this is a place that is safe. This is a place that is comfortable. This place that isn't judging me. This is a place where I can just enjoy Jesus. And and we want the welcome home culture here at the Father's house. And so in order to establish that, we've been talking about some values, the value that people belong first before they believe what we believe, that they experience God when they walk into this room, that we honor everyone in here. Doesn't matter what their background is or how they walked in the door, we honor everybody around here at the Father's house. And that this is going to be a culture where we dream big. We have big faith. We believe for big things because God's big. And we're going to allow our faith to be aligned with the size of our God, not the size of the problems that we face. And so we've talked about a few of these things. If you didn't catch them, uh, you can go on the website, tfh.church, and you can check them out online. I do want to mention, and actually it's it's kind of convenient because uh, this person has recently snuck out of the room. Um, You guys are doing an amazing job at becoming a culture that allows people to belong before they believe. I was sharing this with our dream team this morning in our rally before church started, uh, but there was a gentleman who showed up here last week for the first time, and when I met him on the porch, he said, hey, I just want you to know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe what the rest of you guys believe. I'm not really interested in in all of this, Uh, but I saw your marketing and I thought it was cool, so I decided I'd show up, and I'm like, cool, thanks for coming to church. And uh, he sat through the whole service, and uh, I would say he probably endured it. I, wouldn't, I don't know if he enjoyed it. Maybe he did. Uh, but at the end, he said, hey, I'd like to meet with you for coffee this week. It's a couple things I want to ch- uh, chat with you about. And I said, sure. So we met, and we had coffee, and uh, I won't belabor you with the details of the conversation. But at the end, he said, okay, well, I'm never going to get baptized in your church. I'm never going to believe in your God. Like, I'm just, I'm not interested in any of that. But man, I really just felt good being in church. So do you think it would be okay if I continued to show up and attend your church, even though I don't believe what you guys believe? And I'm like, absolutely. That's actually one of our values. So you can come along and be a part of the family. So uh, that's what I want. I want people to feel comfortable in here, whether they believe what we believe or not yet. And since he's out of the room, I can say this. It's just a matter of time before Jesus gets a hold of that guy's heart and he comes to know him. Amen. 
So today, uh, we are going to talk about yet another value, and we've only got a few more of them. Don't worry, if you're bored with this series, it's going to be over soon. Uh, but uh, I want to talk to you about this value that I, I, it's near and dear to my heart because it's such a big part of who Robin and I are, and that is I want this to be a culture where we live generously. We live generously, and here's the value. We truly believe that it is better to give than to receive, to serve rather than to be served. We will be lavishly generous with our time, our resources, and our talents, looking to serve others at all times with what we have. We are going to live generously. Now, I'm keenly aware of what happens in the human heart the second a pastor says we are going to live generously. Because for many people in the room, I just became a timeshare salesman, okay? Like, I am no longer the pastor that you enjoyed last week. Suddenly, it's like, here we go. Just when I started to like this church and enjoyed myself, you're going to talk about money and you're going to talk about me serving. And Okay, what do you want from me, Pastor? What do you want? What do you want? Tell me how much it's going to cost and what, what, do, you, what do you want me to serve? I'll, I can hold one of those signs, but I am not going into kids, okay? I hate kids. I barely like my own. I'm positive I will kill somebody else's. Like that's, there's no way you're going to talk me into serving kids, okay? But just what, what do you need from me? Just, just hold on, okay? Pause. Let, let me tell you what this sermon is not. Let me tell you what it is. <laughs> I, I am not going to end today by asking you to sign on a dotted line to give me all your money, like some Texas preacher with a gold tooth. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to sign up and be a part of our dream team. That is not the goal of this sermon, okay? This is not a ploy to try to get you to sign up and give me all your stuff. Also, this is not a reactive sermon, meaning I'm not preaching this because oh, we suddenly are unable to pay our bills and I need people to give more money and our team is too small and we can't set things up in the morning and if you have any idea what happens here at seven o'clock when all these people are sweating trying to set this church up for the rest of you people, that's not it at all. In fact, I would argue that this is not one of those cultural values I'm hoping to establish, but I think that this is one of the values that already exists in our culture. I think as you sit in this room today, you are already living in an incredibly generous culture of people. We are a six-week-old church, and at six weeks old, we've been wise with our finances, we have money and savings, we're able to pay all of our bills, and catch this, at six weeks old, we have given over $80,000 away to other churches, to other ministries, to other people in the city that desperately need it. You, you are in a generous church. We are giving stuff away already. And not to mention, we have an incredibly amazing dream team that has been so beyond generous with their time and their resources to make TFHSF a reality. Like, like I could brag on so many people in the room. Like, you have no idea how generous they've been with their time. I'll look in the back of the room right now. So, so Rich, back there at the soundboard, and then Felipe and Joe over here and Kelly. These guys wake up at five o'clock in the morning. They commute an hour to get into San Francisco every single Sunday morning. They set up all this stuff up on the stage so that we can enjoy worship together. Uh, they, they, I mean, in fact, you don't know this, but before this, the, these speakers were ever hanging from the ceiling, we kind of suspended ourselves up in the rafters up here and like hung this stuff in a very non-OSHA way so that we could like, you know, make it sound good in this room. And they spent an entire week here installing all of our equipment, taking time off of their own jobs to make sure that this place sounded good on a Sunday morning. They were radically generous with their time. 
Let's talk about the Barch family. Where's Isaac and Jen Barch? Yeah, so Isaac Barch back there, uh, he's the father of an entire tribe of children. Uh, They have six kids. They have two more on the way. Jen is very pregnant. And they drag their kids out of bed at 5.30 in the morning so that they can get ready and drive an hour into San Francisco and set up the screen and the projectors and all the video equipment and all the lighting and everything that happens. Incredibly generous. David, the guy that was up here with the microphone a moment ago, and his wife, Alicia, who runs our our kids' ministry, uh, they moved out here from Vacaville to San Francisco. She found a job uh, as a nanny. He drives Uber until the wee hours of the morning to pay their bills, and then volunteers his time all day long to administrate this this, this church and make sure that everything that's supposed to happen for the weekend actually happens. Working 10, 12, 13-hour days just to see things come to pass. And when she gets home from work at 6 o'clock, she starts thinking about kids' ministry. So basically, I have invaded all of their private time and potentially ruin their marriage just so that they can build the church here in San Francisco. So I don't know if you clap for that or not, but they've been incredibly generous with their lives. And I could go down the list, Jen and Mary Ann and, and John and Renee Hall and Carlo, uh, Carlos and Cara Torres and all these people who've just, they've given so much of their time and so much of their talent to see all of this come to pass. And P.S., none of them get paid. None of us get paid. We're all volunteer here. Like, In fact, they pay to be here. They give, they tithe, they cross bridges and pay money, they pay for gas. Hopefully this is not like inspiring you to quit, but just just to be clear, like these are radically generous people. And as a result of their generosity, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, people are coming to know Jesus. Because of the time and the investment and all that has taken place, this generous culture that exists, today, as we sit in this room, since inception, 82 people have said yes to Jesus here at the Father's house and made a decision to follow him. So they understand, like, I get to do this. Not I have to do this. I get to do this. All that to say, no, I am not going to ask you today to give your money and give your time. I can't ask you to become something that we already are. We are a culture of generosity. It already exists in our midst. And plus, I think, I'm going to go on a bit of a rabbit trail here, but I think generosity is one of those things that's kind of a moving target. Like, I don't think you can be dogmatic about generosity and say, this is what qualifies, and unless you're doing this, then you're not a generous person. I think it's kind of a moving target for us. We've all been entrusted with a different resource. We've all, all been entrusted with a different time. Maybe you're here today and, and you just recently started following Jesus. Man, the fact that you're coming to church every single Sunday and giving us an hour and a half of your time, that is generous. Thank you so much for attending church. Or maybe you've just started on the giving train and you're like, okay, where my treasure is there, my heart will be also. So I want my heart is in the house and I'm going to start investing financially to see this church expand. Or, you know, you, you're giving a little bit now. Man, that is incredibly generous. Like, maybe you just jumped in, you started tithing. Generous. Maybe you just started serving. That is generous for sure. But maybe you've been on the team for 10, 20 years and, and, and you, know, you, you understand, okay, well, tithing is just what I believe to return, God, return to God what was already his. And so I go above and beyond the tithe. Well, they, that's, that's generous, but you can't impose that same generosity on somebody who's brand new to Jesus. And even still, like there's people with the gift of generosity. I think Robin and I fall into this category where, where God has mandated that you look for every stinking opportunity on the planet to give as much as you possibly can away. And he's made you a channel of blessing. Well, I can't impose that on somebody who doesn't have the same gift as me. That's something that God has given to me. So it's kind of a moving target. So please don't hear me trying to twist somebody's arm today and ask you to do something that you're not prepared to do. Here's what I'm asking. Ready? 
I'm just asking that if the Holy Spirit speaks to you today, that you would be willing to take the next step in generosity. Just be obedient to whatever God says. And if you're obedient, and I'm faithful to share the word today, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, God will do the rest. I don't need to, have to, I don't need to worry about any of it, all right? Amen? We good? Okay. There's a lot of disclaimers just to get into a sermon, but I feel like you have to do that sometimes with generosity. Okay, if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to the book of Matthew chapter 14. Uh, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a story about Jesus and his disciples feeding some people one day. And then I'm going to draw a couple of thoughts out of this story uh, that I think we can apply to our culture so that we, again, not become, but we remain a generous culture. Things that I believe that we all need to carry, aspects of life that we all need to be aware of so that we can remain a generous culture. Uh, Matthew 14, here's the backdrop. Jesus has just gotten word that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been executed by King Herod. And uh, rather gruesome way, you can go back and read, read the details of the story. Uh, but John was, was one of the first people to announce Jesus' entry into ministry. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's pointing the crowds to Jesus. And, and there was a very unique relationship between Jesus and his cousin. So as he gets word of his cousin's death, uh, we see in verse 13 of chapter 14, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Uh, the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Verse 15. That evening, the disciples came to him, and they said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that ain't necessary. You feed them. Um, but, like, we only have, like, five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. That's fine. Bring them here, Jesus said. We told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven, and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Verse 21, about 5,000 men, now in this culture, that would have equated to about 15 to 20,000 total people, but about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. You ready? Someone say yes. And, and just so you know, as a pastor, these are hard things to talk about. So the, as, as much verbal like engagement and like positivity that we can keep in the room today, that would really help a brother out, all right? Let's pray. Jesus, help. Amen. Okay. Is that okay? Is that all right? <laughs> Good. Okay. Number one, if we are going to remain a generous culture, here's the first thing I think we all need to have. And by the way, these are all body parts so that you can remember them. Number one, we need to have fresh eyes. We need to have fresh eyes. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Um, your eyes take in a lot of information every single day. There's, there's advertisements. There's situations that you see. Uh, you can walk through the mall or drive along the road, and your eyes take in a whole bunch of stuff. And I don't know if you realize this by now, but you live in a culture that is really out to get your eyes. Uh, they, they market to your eyes, to your appetite, to the things that we enjoy to see. And, and our eyes ultimately cause us to make decisions. You bought that thing because you saw it somewhere first. Or maybe you bought that thing because you were convinced by way of marketing that your life would not be complete until you had it in your possession. So our eyes lead us to make decisions. And the culture that you live in is all about you seeing things to get them to yourself. Seeing things that you need to add to your life. Our culture wants you to keep your eyes on 
yourself. They want you to see you, be consumed with your life, your stuff, your needs. Your culture says you need more time to yourself. You need more stuff. You need um, the Tesla. Come on, have you ever been up till like one or two o'clock in the morning figuring out how you could calculate selling both of your vehicles and then, you know, maybe borrowing against your 401k and justifying the Tesla purchase or is that just me? Okay, okay, just, I'm just trying to, thank you, Will. Okay, I, I appreciate you from the same tribe. Okay, good. Yeah, your, your world tells you it's all about you. And because of that, if we're not careful, many of us can begin to build these little spheres, these little bubbles where we just live inside of our own world, meaning we never really take a look outside of ourselves, the needs that exist in our world, the need that might be right in front of us with that person or that situation. We just become consumed with our world. And in your world, the last thing you often think about is generosity. The last thing you think about is how can I help that person? How can I give to that person? Because I'm focused on, on me right now. And the only time the people who live in that sphere ever become generous is when they feel like everything inside their world is complete. And now I can step outside of my world and I can be generous to other people. Like everything in here has to feel good before I can do anything else. Consequently, for many people in our nation, our giving or our generosity becomes governed by our feelings. If we feel like giving, we'll give. If we feel like serving, we'll serve. But if I don't feel it, then I'm just not going to do it. And I'm not trying to incriminate anybody, but just in case you need a little help here, uh, that might be your issue, my issue. If you have ever tried to determine whether or not you were going to tip somebody at your restaurant based on the service you received, what is that saying? Well, my world needs to be complete, my world needs to be served, and if it's good enough for me, then I am willing to be generous to somebody else. The tip is based on the service. Now, I know that logically that makes sense, but maybe we should just tip because it's the right thing to do. I was in this coffee shop the other day, and uh, I was sitting there at the counter, and uh, as I was sitting there, this uh, girl walked in from the outside, and she was having a conversation with the cashier, and they went on for, and I, I was looking at my watch. I actually timed it. I hit the stopwatch for five and a half minutes, and I'm the only other customer in the coffee shop with a bag of coffee in my hand waiting to purchase it, and they're just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking, and oh my gosh, did you see him? And oh my God, he's so cute. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I'm like, you know, trying to make myself known and no one's paying attention to me. And finally, after about five and a half minutes, I did one of these. <laughs> she looks at me and says, oh, are you ready to check out? And I'm like, yeah. Robin's waiting at home for me right now. And if I don't have coffee ready for her when she gets out of bed, then I have a problem on my hands. So yes, I am ready to check out. So I check out. And then they turn the screen to me. And you've seen the line, right? Feeling tipsy. Would you like to tip? And in that moment, I was tempted to hit the heck no button on the other side of the the coffee screen. But I was reminded, hey, it's not about me. Who knows what the situation is with this girl? Maybe there's things going on at home. Maybe she could use a little bit of extra cash. So instead of just tipping the bare minimum, which I would normally do, I went above and beyond. I'm like, no, God's called me to be generous. And so I tip more. Like, even though the service was bad, I just tip more. It was not about her. It was a statement to myself that, no, I'm I'm not going to be governed by my feelings I'm going to tip based on what I know God's called me to do, not what what she's doing right now. Now, Jesus in this story, it says that he had just found out that his cousin was executed. And what did he do? He went alone to a place by himself to do what? Probably to grieve. 
I mean, it's, it's reasonable, right? Like, he should be allowed to get alone by himself and have a little me time. Like, it makes sense. That's what we should do. But something happened that shook him up to the point where he was not willing to be alone by himself in his feelings any longer. Kiki, do you love me? Like, in his feelings any longer. He, he did something that was greater than his feelings. He saw the crowd. He saw the need. He saw the opportunity. And he said, you know what? I know that I feel this way right now, but I am going to make a choice to do something that is greater than my feelings. I'm going to give of my time and give of my emotional energy, and I'm going to heal the sick people in this crowd because that is a greater moment, that, that is a greater spent of my time than sitting around in my feelings. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Generosity is not a feeling, it's a choice. It is not a feeling, it's a choice. If you are waiting to feel generous, to serve, to give, to do whatever, you are never going to feel it. At best, when you do, you'll live erratic and occasional generosity, but you will never live a generous life. It will never become a lifestyle until we get beyond our feelings. Disclaimer, um, maybe, maybe a little too, self, too much self-disclosure. Uh, I often don't feel like praying. I often don't feel like studying for sermons. Ask my wife these last two weeks. I'm like, I hate studying. I, I often don't feel like coming to church. Okay, that's a little too much, okay? I don't feel like working out in the morning when I wake up. Like, sometimes I don't feel like being nice to people. Like, these are honest confessions. But I've made a choice in my life that there's certain things I'm just gonna do because it's the right thing to do. Even if I don't feel like praying, I have made a choice to pray because I know the word says that God hears me and he will act on my behalf. I've made a choice that every time I'm in town and not on vacation, I will be in the house of God because it says that those who plant themselves in the house of God are going to flourish and I want to flourish. I study for sermons. I've made a choice to do so because of the ridiculousness of preaching. It actually brings people to a place of salvation. And I know that my preparation in that moment is gonna lead people to a place of saying yes to Jesus on a Sunday morning. And I work out to counteract the 15 Reese's peanut butter cups that I ate last night. Like I've made a choice to do these things. It goes well beyond my feelings. I guarantee many of our team who commutes into San Francisco to set this thing up every single week, they don't feel like getting out of bed at five o'clock in the morning. They don't feel like ripping their kids out of bed at 5.30 in the morning. But they have made a choice because they believe that them showing up and doing what God's uniquely called them to do is making a place for people who are broken to be healed, people who are far from Jesus to come close, for marriages to be restored. Today could be the day that somebody walks into those doors and everything changes for them and they live with that anticipation in their heart that says, you know what, I'll get out of bed again, I will serve again, and I will do it despite the way I feel right now because I'm making a choice to see the world the way that Jesus does. I need some fresh eyes to pop me out of my feelings and to see what Jesus sees. You need fresh eyes. Thank you, sir. Number two, you need a new heart. You need a new heart. Uh, it says in, in Matthew chapter 12, I believe, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning that if I listen to the words that come out of my mouth or your mouth, I can get a glimpse into my heart condition. 
The words are, are the window into the heart. You can see what's going on in the heart by listening to the conversation. Well, if that's true, then, then we get a glimpse into the heart condition of Jesus' disciples as he comes to them and he says, hey, I'd like you to feed this crowd of 20,000 people. In that moment, as he instructs his disciples to feed, what do they say? They said, Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fishes. In my heart, what I'm telling you, Jesus, is I do not have the capacity to do what you're asking me to do. We only have. I don't have. If, if words give a glimpse into the heart condition, I think that those words can reveal the heart condition of our nation. We don't have. We, we, we don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough income. I can barely pay my bills. I don't have enough talent. Everybody else seems better than me. I, I, I just don't have what you're looking for, Jesus. I understand you're asking me to do this, but I simply don't have the capacity to do what you're asking me to do. And in that tension conversation, most people respond one of two ways. Group number one responds by becoming paralyzed and doing absolutely nothing. Like, well, I don't have the talent, I don't have the gifting, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, so I'm just gonna do absolutely nothing. It's not gonna make that much of a difference. Like, those guys up there on the stage, they're better musicians than me. Those people out front with the signs, they're a bit more smiley than me. You know, the, the kids' people actually like kids. Like, like, they're all better than me at what they do. So I'll just let everybody else do this stuff. And, and we kind of get into this paralysis of analysis where we realize I don't have what it takes, so I'm just going to do nothing. And then, group number two, I would suggest this is more common and perhaps worse. Instead of doing nothing, because we feel we don't have enough, we just start consuming everything in hopes that one day we will have enough for ourselves so that we can finally be generous to other people. It manifests itself in a way where you work 80-hour, 90-hour weeks so that you can have enough money stored up, but then suddenly you don't even have time enough to enjoy it. Yeah. Or, or we leverage all we've got and we go into debt for 72 months on a car we can't afford, and then halfway through that 72 months, we're like, I don't even like this car anymore. <laughs> I've never been there before, yeah. <laughs> like, like that's the consumer, I must have more for myself, and then when I feel like I have enough, which by the way is an endless pursuit, then I will be generous. Then I will give to others. And if you don't think that our nation is permeating in that lie, the gospel of not enough, I offer this one word to you. Costco. <laughs> Costco. Come on. There is no place like Costco that immediately makes you feel like you do not have enough, right? The magic of Costco is that you go into Costco to save money and you spend everything that you have in the process. Like... Well, you know, I, I don't need three vats of mayonnaise, but um, it's cheaper than buying, you know, that much mayonnaise at the grocery store. So I'm going to just go ahead and load my fridge full of mayonnaise. And I'll probably never use all those paper towels, but worst case, we could put them on the bed and have an extra padding. Like, I, like, like nothing like walking through Costco to make you feel like, like, you didn't know you needed new knives. You didn't know you needed new Tupperware, but you're like, oh, those have the little clippy things on the side. And that's like... I really need that Tupperware. Like, like, true story, I was convinced the other day I needed a Roomba, those little like robot vacuum cleaners. I'm like, who has time to do this, you know? Move your furniture out of the way? Do you know how demanding my schedule is? I need a robot. Like, like what? 
No condemnation, mom, because you have one. Okay. And don't get me started on televisions, okay? When you walk into Costco, you are immediately aware of the fact that your television is insufficient. It's the first thing they put out there. You're like, 42-inch television in my house? Like, who watches a 42 anymore? What am I, in a third-world country? I can't enjoy television on a 42-inch. I need a 55, a 65, a 75, like, and they call out to you. More, 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 more. We amass all this stuff to fill the not enough void in our hearts. You know, Jesus told a story one day in the form of a parable, and he said, there was a guy who was having this great harvest of, of crops, and when he looked at his harvest, he said, I don't even have enough room in my barns to store up all my harvest. So instead of giving it away, here's what he decided to do. Uh, I think I'll build bigger barns for myself so that I can store more of my harvest for me. Mine, 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 me, 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 more, more, more. And God said to him, you fool, don't you know that tonight you will lose your very life and then who will enjoy all this stuff that you've stored up for yourself? Translation, you can work your entire life trying to store up enough so that you think you will be happy and you will die unhappy realizing that you never really needed what you had and what you were chasing. Listen to me. If you are in that world of paralysis or consumerism and anywhere in between, listen to what Jesus told his disciples. He is not looking for something you don't have yet. He's looking for what you've already got. He says, hey, that'll do. Oh, but I've, I've only got like 45 minutes extra in my schedule of it. That'll do. I've only got this one night a week that's available, and I, I, I don't know if I want to do the one night a week for the small group. I mean, I need some me time. That'll do. Like, whatever you got, that will do. Because listen, Jesus has the ability to take your not enough and turn it into more than enough. That's, that's the supernatural side of God. And here's how he does that, point number three. We need to have open hands. We need to have open hands. Fresh eyes, a new heart, and open hands. Now, if, if you hold on to your stuff, at best you will get natural results. But the moment we let our lives go into the hands of Jesus, suddenly our natural becomes supernatural. The second that God touches something, supernatural stuff begins to take place. When God touches clay, it can turn into a human. When God touches a sick person, they can get well. When Jesus touches blind eyes, they can be opened. When he touches something dead, it can come back to life. When God touches our lives, he can do something supernatural with it. In the story, Jesus says, hey, whatever you've got will do. And then he says to his disciples, I would like you to take that bread that you've got and just bring it here to me. Hand it over to me. And there's this moment of decision. Am I going to hold on to what I've got or am I going to entrust it into the hands of the Savior? And they take their seemingly insignificant offering and they put it in the hands of Jesus. And what does he do? He says he lifts it towards heaven and he blesses it. Now, this is going to sound super rudimentary, but I need you to catch this. While it was in their hands, it was not blessed. But the second they lifted it over to Jesus, it was blessed. The second it left their hands and it entered into the hands of the Savior, it became blessed. I would assume here today that everyone in this room would like to have a blessed life. Not in the weird TV preacher way, but listen, I want my life to be blessed. I want my kids to be blessed. I want my finances to be blessed. I want our church to be blessed. 
But the only way that happens is if I am willing to take all of those things and say, Jesus, you gave them to me and they belong to you. I give all of it back to you. Sometimes that's very easy to do with my children, but still, these are your kids. I want them blessed, I hand it back over to you. And the second it leaves my hand, the second I lay it at his altar, suddenly he's got something that he can bless. Now, now, arguably, this is the hardest one for us to do. Why? Because in our humanity, we like to hold on to stuff. We think that if we can control it, then everything's going to be better. If I, got, if I can control it, then, then I can control the outcome. If you've had, anyone have children here? Anyone? Kids? Little kids? Okay. Remember, remember that phase when they were like two or three and didn't matter what they were holding on to, if you asked them for it, what did they say? Mine! Mine! Hey, Livy, can I have your mine? Can I borrow, can I borrow your mine? My daughters used to come into my study and they would take my scissors and run around with the scissors. And I'm like, mine, 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 And I'm like, hey, I'm a bad parent for leaving scissors in the same place and you keep coming back and getting them at the same time. But I'm like, hey, you could hurt yourself with those things. Like, there's something in, in infancy that wants to cling to things that even if we cling to them, they're bad for us. And mine, 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 mine. My stuff, my money, my schedule, mine, 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 mine. You need to put to death the infant on the inside of you. There needs to be a moment where you get your hands off of your life and you begin to hand it over to Jesus. Because listen, at best, you're gonna be able to do natural with your life. But natural does not work for God people. Natural does not work for Jesus people. You want the supernatural in your life. You want God to look at your life and say, you know what, you were only able to go this far by yourself, but I'm gonna promote you even further because when you've got me on your side, I can take your natural and I can do super with it. Your finances, I know they don't look so great, but if you would just hand those things over to me, I promise you I can do something supernatural with your finances, with your family, with your talents, whatever it might be. The second you let it out of your hand, he can bless it. And listen, what God blesses, he can multiply. What he blesses, he can multiply. You want to see increase in your life? You got to lay it in the hands of Jesus. Let him bless it. And then let him multiply it. Last thought with multiplication, the, bands can, the band can come. This speaks to obedience. You need to have quick feet. Fresh eyes, new heart, open hands, and quick feet. You need to do what Jesus tells you to do it and not try to figure it all out in your head. Often what God asks us to do makes absolutely no sense. Consider the moment, okay? Jesus is here with his disciples. He's told them to feed a crowd of 5,000 or 15,000 people, 20,000 people. And he takes the bread that they've handed over to him and, and, and he hands it back to him and he's like, all right, go feed him now. The bread did not look any different in that moment than it did when they handed it over to him. Often when God asks you to do something with your life, it's not going to look any different in that moment. You're not suddenly going to have more resource and more time and more talent or whatever. He's gonna say, now do something with it. Now, I like to put myself in these stories sometimes, and I'm like, okay, Jesus hands me back the bread. I'm like, um, so there's 20,000 people. I got this loaf of bread. Can, can you pray for it again? <laughs> can, can you do the Jesus thing again? Like, I don't think anything happened. But Jesus says, no, I want you to break it, and I want you to begin to distribute it. And there is this moment where the disciples have to ask themselves and determine, am I going to be generous with what Jesus has just handed back to me? 
or I'm going to, or am I going to do what most of us do? Am I going to ration? They have a choice. Am I going to get a big old chunk of bread and hand it to the first person and say, there you go. Or am I going to go, okay, it doesn't look any different. He wants me to feed people. Um, 20,000. Okay. So you get a piece over there and then you can have some bread over there and that one's a little bigger. Oh man, you're not going to get any. I'm sorry, but you can have some right over there. That's what so many people do with their life. They're like, okay, well, I can, I can do that much. Like if I give that much, then there's not going to be enough left. So, so we ration our lives away, but you know what happens when we ration? No one ends up being satisfied and people always leave hungry. Your family's hungry or the church is hungry. Your kids are hungry or your employer's hungry. When we try to micromanage our life and give little bits and pieces of it away, like no one's satisfied, not even you. But there's a moment where Jesus will look at you and he will say, hey, I know it doesn't make any sense. Like, I know it looks like there's not going to be enough left for you. But will you just be generous? Will you just trust me that what I've blessed, I will multiply? Will you trust that I am more than able to provide? And you can take these chunks of life and you can just begin to distribute freely and say, you know what? I trust Jesus. I trust that he's going to provide for all of my needs. I trust that he's going to provide for my calendar and for my schedule. And as long as I'm willing to give myself away, I know that he can multiply it. And I get it, that doesn't make any sense at all. But as a guy that's done it, let me just tell you, it works. It doesn't calculate, but it works. My wife and I, probably on about a 12 year stint now of watching this principle work in our lives. And I won't bore you with the details, but I'll tell you that there was a moment of decision where we were running a business and we were being asked to step into ministry at the same time. And we couldn't figure out how it was going to all pencil out. And we had a very honest conversation with Jesus after about a week of fasting and said, God, I don't know. I'm doing 80 hours a week in this business. There's no way that we're going to be able to continue to run the business and do ministry at the same time. But I hear what you're asking me to do. And so I'm going to trust that as I take this chunk of my schedule and my life and potentially a chunk of income that might go along with it, and I'm going to just serve your purpose, I'm going to trust that you will take care of the rest. And can I tell you that from that moment, I don't know how to explain it, but not only did the business prosper in ways it never has before, but I've spent less time working in that business than I ever did before making that decision. I focused my attention on building the kingdom of God. And although it doesn't make any sense, it seems like God has multiplied our time. He has multiplied our resource. And why? Because we have chosen to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else has been added to us. I know it doesn't pencil out, but it works. It works. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is the next step of generosity for you? Be willing to take it. Trust God at his word. Don't live a safe, predictable life. Come on, be willing to lay your life in his hands. Let him bless it and let him multiply it. Here's the vision statement of our church. And I end with this thought. The Father's house exists to see people discover life in Jesus. Now, here's what Winston Churchill said. He said, you make a living by what you get, but we make a life by what we give. 
I want people to experience the life that is found in giving of themselves. I promise you will never be the same again. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.